0: How is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast. We are finally on to season two of the original run of the House of Horror. And this episode's coming to you all the way back from October 2nd, 2019. It's my conversation with my good friend, Jeremy Herbert. It was a really great conversation. And rather than listening to me talk about it, we're just going to get right to the show. If you guys haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on whatever streaming service you're listening to it to. And if you guys haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe to my YouTube channel. This October, I'm going to be coming out with 31 videos so it's definitely something you guys don't want to miss without further ado we're just going to get right to the show so as always take care and stay spooky How's it going, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of my House of Horror podcast. I've got another really exciting season this year, and I can't wait to share five brand new episodes with you in the coming weeks. If you're new to the show, we talk about all things horror, from films to literature to just the general horrors of real life. And we feature interviews with some incredible experts of the horror field, such as filmmakers, authors, actors. And last year, we even focused on some true crime with critically acclaimed author James Renner and a former high school classmate of Jeffrey Dahmer. Today, for our Season season premiere, I'm thrilled to have accomplished indie horror director and personal friend of mine, Jeremy Herbert, on the show. We chat about everything from his film's killer deal, The Childish Thing, and The Thing About Beecher's Gate, to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios, and to what makes drive-in theaters so appealing. We also touch upon our time in college together, what first got him into horror films, and that time he met John Carpenter. Jeremy's newest film, The Things with the Glowing Green Eyes, makes its world premiere on October 27th at Nightmare's Film Festival. If you're in the Ohio area, make sure you head down to Columbus and check it out, because if it's anything like his other films, it's something you don't want to miss. We really had a great conversation, so let's get right to it. But first, if you're new to the show, please make sure that you subscribe to my channel and turn on notifications so you know when I post new episodes. And if you were to give this interview a thumbs up and share it with a friend, it would be greatly appreciated. If at some point down the line you happen to be listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts, please make sure that you subscribe to the show and leave me a rating and review. Without further ado, enjoy my conversation with my good friend and indie horror icon, Jeremy Herbert. So I saw that you just got back from Genre Blast and took home a couple awards. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Um, that was uh, that was a heck of a weekend, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, me and Wolf Stall and Morgan McLeod drove down on Friday morning and uh, stayed Friday night, Saturday, and then Sunday and left Monday. Um, Genre Blast is probably one of the well probably it's one of the best festivals we've been to um it's one of the friendliest uh everything feels the word that i kind of came away with was handpicked it feels like someone very deliberately wanted all these movies together and there wasn't a weak one in the bunch uh to the point that if there was a movie that wasn't for me i could tell it wasn't for me while also maintaining whoever this is for is going to love this movie um and and you don't necessarily get that with all film festivals, but uh, it was a blast. We uh, They named a hamburger after the thing about Beecher's Gate, and that's literally all we ate besides the Continental Breakfast for three days. Um, <laughs> I was
0: going to ask don't about do that. I was going to ask about the uh, the burger there. So um, people have, well, I guess you have described later on in the fact that the thing about Beecher's Gate is sort of a Western Gothic film. and A little bit, yeah. A little bit. So, why would Genre Blast choose just your typical Americana burger and not do a Western style burger for the thing about Beecher's Gate? I mean,
1: I don't know, man. There was bacon on it. I feel like that. I feel like that uh, deserves a little bit of uh, a praise. Um, it 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 tasted it tasted Western enough. You know, the movie doesn't lean too hard, but it 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 tasted authentic to me.
0: That's good. That's good. So, I guess before we dive too deep into your filmmaking background and the films that you have made um Mm. you as am i are a big theme park guy so i'm just kind of curious um what is your opinion about the epic universe the stuff that's been coming out of d23 and halloween horror nights has come well halloween horror nights is probably going on by the time yeah by the time people hear this so (laughs)
1: um I, I have a I have a great many opinions on all of these things. I'm trying to figure out the way to the way to say it fastest without derailing this because I was wondering when you said oh this talk I'm like is he going to talk about theme parks because I know you yeah uh, and I never get to talk about this so this is a dangerous question to ask. Um, so last night I was feverishly refreshing the hashtags on Twitter and the various forums to see because last night whenever this comes out last night was Wednesday the whatever the date was fourth um and last night was employee preview for halloween horror nights so i was getting all the reactions looking like it's going to be a good year which is exciting um but in terms of epic universe in terms of d23 uh we're kind of we're on the edge of a of a new era and that sounds profound but the fact that uh universal is doing something it's never done before which is which is a park three uh to a point they've only ever done one park two um knowing kind of the ips that are going in it who boy uh and the fact that now they're kind of doing the different detached like entertainment districts districts so you have the original uh with the studios and islands and then I don't know if they're still doing it. There was talk that the two new hotels, like the budget hotels they open on High Drive, were going to have a shopping center attached, and then now they have the Epic Universe plot uh, up the road. Um, and likewise, Disney is is slowly uh, rebuilding Epcot kind of from the ground up. Um, it's it's strange. I think it it feels like uh, 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 in a sense an arms race. It's kind yeah. of seeing you know who's what what are, what's the stake. What are the stakes going to be coming soon? It's exciting. I, you know, I have my opinions on who's doing what better and what I what I prefer. Um, but any competition at all is good for all of the parks. And it's good uh, and for it us. <laughs> seems like, and it certainly seems like both of them are turning the screws enough in different ways that it's going to get real interesting real fast.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Well, I guess it hasn't been 100% confirmed, but I'm excited about the... Universal Monsters area, obviously. Um, and Nintendo right. Land for sure. Um, I know you did have some comments about the, uh, the Star Wars hotel.
1: <laughs> well, it, here, now here's the thing. And this is, um, if we're going off of opinion and this, uh, I'm, I'm being coy for, for various reasons, none of which I can talk about, but the, <laughs> um, my my issue is like the fact that it's something like $4000 for like the first person at the Star Wars hotel and then it's like uh, 700 for each additional or something like that yeah something um, to me it's indicative of this of a of a kind of diversion in the paths that at some point Disney decided they were going to aim high and get maybe fewer Fewer tourists, but the kind that will go for broke and spend you know the cost of a new Ford Fiesta on a single vacation to stay yeah. in star wars um, and then meanwhile, up the road, universal's opening not one but two hotels that are cheaper than some chain hotels up and down i drive uh, and I think because I think the rack rate is it's under a hundred dollars I know that for the surf side and dock side i' only one of them's open now but Um, And like a month or two ago, Universal was running a deal where if you bought three nights or three days at the park, two days at the park, excuse me, um, and the same amount of nights at, I think, Cabana Bay, you got three days and nights free. Um, And like that kind of deal is nuts past 1998. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And so I I do, I respect uh, Universal a lot and that they seem to be looking at, well, you know, we, we know it's not the cheapest in the world anyway, slice it but we want you here and we're going to get you here. And they're just, to me, they're stretching people's dollar further uh, right. as opposed to Disney right
0: now. Yeah, I can agree with it. Because, I mean, like the Star Wars Hotel, it's not even that big. So, I mean, they have to know that it's going to be a limited experience for people, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and the strange thing is I I couldn't even guess how successful or not it's going to be because, it yeah, it's a hotel. You stay there. But it seems like they're angling it more like a cruise package. Right. Where you have to stay for like two or three nights and there's stuff that happens. So I don't know. I don't even know what kind of market that would be for essentially a dry cruise.
0: Right. And you'd kind of be stuck in Galaxy's Edge in the hotel the whole time. Because, I mean, you're not going to ruin part of your adventure by going to the other park. So like, it's kind of like you're kind of all in (laughs) if you're going to do it. Yeah.
1: And well, that's the thing. That's always been a lot of people will say, well, that's the upside. Uh, it's also a downside. If you stay on Disney property, unless you have a car, you're just stuck on Disney property. Um, this is almost doubling down. Like not only are you stuck, you're stuck at the studios, um, in the world of star Wars. Uh, and that's, that's its own disadvantage. Although I feel like anyone willing to pay that much to sleep in star Wars is not really going to mind. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a strange. It's a strange thing. It's a strange experiment to be sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, how often do you get down there? Are you going to Horror Nights this year? I, is it's Ghostbusters theme this year, right? One of the things. Uh,
1: one, of, one of the mazes is Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm gonna try. I. Uh, I mean, I get down to Orlando a few times a year because my brother lives down there now. Well, now. Um. Yeah. But, uh, I. I tried to get down to Horror Nights. I think the first year I went was 25, which was 2015, and I missed 26. I did 27, 28, and this year's 29. Because um, I'm, not, I'm not a uh, haunted house guy, but then I went to Universal, and I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, this is not your usual <laughs> walk through the woods. Right, yeah. uh, And I just love the, uh, the craftsmanship. The fact that they have to build this stuff for essentially a month and a half and then tear it down. And if you don't see it in that month and a half, good luck.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um but yeah, I know I, I have tickets to Horror Nights. I just have to figure out when I can get down there.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um so I I heard a rumor that when you were younger you actually wanted to design theme park attractions.
1: Uh yeah. Was the rumor me? Did I say that? Did I say that at I, some I point? I
0: might might have heard it from the horse's mouth, yeah. <laughs>
1: um yeah, that's true. Uh when I was a kid. Um, I roller coaster tycoon probably played a part, but the biggest thing was um, there was a videotape, and it's sitting right over there uh, that Universal sold in um, the '90s, back when you could sell souvenir VHS tapes, and you didn't have a better camera immediately in your pocket. Um, called Universal Studios Experience the Magic of Mo- Universal Studios Florida Experience the Magic of Movies. Um, And I'm fascinated that my brother and I didn't kill that tape because we watched (laughs) it all the time. Um, And it ended up being formative in two entirely different directions because it really got into the original lineup of the park, which is still, you know, gilded and untouchable. Uh, But it also told like back when the park was mainly about how you learn to make movies. Um, So at the time, when I was a kid, I really took it as like, I want to design these rides. This is great. I want to make play with these, play with these big toys and, uh, make these things. And then as I got older, I realized, Oh, well, this also accidentally made me want to make movies. Um, and to a point now I just say storytelling cause it's all the same. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, I still do. Um, I'll say I, I, I've done some freelance like theme park design, which is cool. Yeah. Um, I I never thought I'd get to get to do anything like that, and it's it's neat. No one will ever know, probably, but I got, I got to do so, um, and it is fun. I would still kill to do that uh, as a nine to five job if I could.
0: Yeah, and then do films on the weekends and on the side, which all of us are doing now. Um, exactly. So 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 the Universal tape kind of got you into the transition into wanting to get into filmmaking so why don't you tell me a little bit about um how you sort of got into it what are some of the first things you did as a child because i know i made the shittiest movies on vhs when i was a kid uh sometimes mm-hmm. i took it way too seriously i think at a point my mom actually told me you're not allowed to make movies anymore stuff like that <laughs> and so yeah that worked out well um but yeah so just kind of tell me about your filmmaking journey
1: Um. um... Hmm. Some of the first stuff I did, uh, I I did. Um, Me and my brother and my cousin uh, would not all the time, but we would we would spend some of our summers at our grandparents' house. Um, And my cousin got a uh, an eight uh, uh, a mini DV camera. Uh, And I don't know why. I can't remember why we decided to go this route, but we were like, we're gonna make a horror movie it was about a, it was about a clown um that's just cuz we had a wig that we bought from marks uh, and we shot it entirely on uh mini dv i think i think a character in it was one of the ghostbusters i do not remember which we just had them in it don't anyway uh but like we shot it on mini dv and we had no editing software to speak up so we we had to stop and start between scenes and because we we enjoyed the punishment we also had music in it that we would hold a cd player next to the camera and then have to try to stop and start it between cuts which is to say between stopping and starting of the camera to carry it to the next scene um we had the first one oof uh the it ends with like a 10 minute long take uh and by by long take i mean we set the camera on a table and just <laughs> improvised the fight scene and that was that uh that's probably why I don't like long takes to this day. Uh, <laughs> but um, we ended up making, I think, four or five of those as a fran- franchise. Um, and by the end, there was kind of a... Because my brother and I talk about this all the time. We're like, there are things that we did that we probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have been able to do considering how little we knew besides just watching movies. Um, just kind of interesting shots or interesting tricks. Uh, one scene I remember is like a guy walking into a room and sitting down on a chair and you see the hallway outside and into another like bedroom and the guy in in the foreground is in focus and he puts on headphones and he just starts like jamming out to music that we did not have the rights to (laughs) uh and then in the other room you see like the killer come in and just like stab the guy to death and the guy in the foreground is just completely oblivious rocking out to music um and like that like we shouldn't have the, we did it so quick, we shouldn't have been able to think of that kind of, you know, it's an elegant enough way to shoot that. And we're like, well, that's kind of cool. You know, maybe there's something to this besides just pointing the camera and doing things. Um, and uh, I think for fake blood, we used car wax, which, you know, that's probably not good for your skin. But um, and we made those and that was kind of it for a while. Then I started entering contests for my local library uh cuz they had like book trailer contests um and that was we then had editing software so we could and by editing software i mean windows movie maker there you go uh, where we almost <laughs> where we almost uh face our baptism by fire
0: yeah <laughs> and
1: the now admittedly i won some of them but admittedly i would pick things that were like based on movies just cuz that's what i wanted to replicate uh, and it finally, it finally caught up with me because last year I tried to sneak it by saying like the novelization of the movie Ghostbusters, which is not in any public library system in the United States. Uh, and they did not take it. But, there, <laughs> but it, it, was, it involved like actually, you know, we had the outfits, we had the proton packs, we had to fake this whole thing. It looked great. Um, and at that point I wasn't too upset because I'm like, clearly I need to be moving on and doing other things. Um, and then in high school – uh, I took the video courses, I started making videos, and again, I started doing things that I probably shouldn't have known to do or thought to try. Um, the the kind of breakthrough, and I'll give you the inside scoop, this is where the name Dangerous Days Productions comes from. Uh, I watched Blade Runner at what is both the best and worst time uh, in my development, which was kind of like junior year of high school. So I was really getting into filmmaking and trying to figure out you know, what, what do I like about it? What do I want out of it? Um, and I watched Blade Runner, and it just blew my mind. Because it it's, to this day, one of the most transportive movies ever made. Um, and I decided, of course, that I'm just going to make <laughs> my own for a final project uh, with no money um, and a leather trench coat from Goodwill. And so I, uh, I also watched Dangerous Days, the making of Blade Runner, the documentary. And one, they called it that because one of the working titles of Blade Runner was Dangerous Days. So I thought I was going to be clever and name the, my movie Dangerous Days, and I did. Uh, and it was, I mean, I got an A, but it, <laughs> you know, we, we stole a lot. We stole an awful lot. And the irony is we shot in Kent because at that time my brother was a student. So I ended up like, what would become my tomb, Franklin Hall? We shot in there, <laughs> and I'm like, this building is so nice and futuristic. <laughs> uh, and uh It was great and the movie was entirely too long i remember my teacher gave me uh, a mark off and what he wrote is now how i feel about the movie blade runner um which is how i know i've grown he he took points off he's like too much walking around in the rain i'm like you know what yeah that's fair that's entirely fair um and then i kept making movies and what also did it was die hard when i got die hard um, on DVD and I remember I was sick for a couple of days so I watched it and I was like oh my gosh <laughs> and then I watched it with commentary which is a great film school for anyone out there and I watched it with the commentary like a dozen times um, and especially the fundamentals like screen direction, how to cut action, how to do how to make sense of something fast and complicated there's no better movie to watch because no one watches that movie and doesn't understand what's going on despite it being such a complicated setup payoff so on and so forth um and from there i got into college i got onto the agenda um weekly comedy show for everybody watching that doesn't know uh where every week i tried to make a different video um that got more and more complex by the end me and dylan lusk uh had made i think, i think still the most impressive thing we managed to do Uh, was between a Monday night meeting and a Wednesday night air, we shot, we kind of wrote, it was some improv, but we wrote, shot, and cut a 30-minute pre-taped episode. Yeah, I remember Uh, that. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think about it sometimes, and it hurts, um, the fact that we could actually do it that fast.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I guess talking about college a little bit, I mean, you said you started out, the first couple films you made were horror films, but then in college I knew you and basically everyone knew you as the comedy guy. <laughs> um,
1: uh, I mean, to and this sounds like I'm sharking it off. I'm very glad that I ended up on the agenda. That's where I was, I was supposed to be clearly. But, um, I think some of it was, and it, it was immediate because for a long time I wasn't really keen on horror movies. It took me a long time. Like when I was a kid, probably even when we were making those early horror movies, I didn't have the, I didn't have the guts for them. Um, I still remember like occasional nights in October when I would go to bed and my dad and my brother would be watching AMC's Horror Fest, and uh, I, I I'll see flashes of images. Like I, I remember Halloween three a lot. Um, some of the shots of like the the ant well the spoiler the androids in the in like the suits standing in the in the uh, junkyard, and some of that like I'll remember flashes of those images and like nope not for me can't do it can't do it. Uh, and then I want to say there was one Halloween I watched, Night of the Living Dead. And that was kind of a, like, oh, wow. OK, this is before college. I was like, All right. By the time I, I kind of got to college, I I got a stomach for it. And what I kind of fell in love with, one of the first horror movies I really sought out to watch, because I think I saw Army of Darkness accidentally on cable. I was like, this is great. And I didn't realize at the time that it is the least scary of the entire series, including the TV show. Um, So I I worked backwards and I was like, all right, I'm going to start with the original. And the original still uh, unnerves me in ways no other movie does. And I watched him like this is nuts because these these guys did not have much more than I had. Um, They did. But, you know, don't tell don't tell a kid that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the way it was made and the, the craft to it, because horror is tricky. It has, it has the lowest bar for entry. Um, but also it kind of has a high bar for, uh, quality. Like it's easy to make a bad horror movie. Right. Um, and people will still watch it and it will still find something, but like to make an effective horror movie, um, it's tough and it's kind of, it's, most of that gap is just the ingenuity and that's that's what i liked about it uh and i like that it plays a game with the audience more so than a lot of genres um that you kind of have to make the audience lean forward and you have to make them jump back sometimes uh what and what kind of got me is that it's like to me uh a theme park attraction those turn of the century dark rides where you kind of just bump around in the dark and then a light flashes and a train horn sounds and you jolt and then you laugh and you go on to the next scene. So in, in college I was kind of getting more, more and more in tune with horror. And I was like, I want to make something not serious, probably more serious than just because it was a, you know, if you're doing funny stuff all the time, I was like, well, I don't, I want to do less funny stuff on my own time. um And, so the agenda was great cause it taught me how to make stuff fast, uh, with very few people. Um, and especially like parodies. Cause then you learn, how do I make this look like that in three days with, uh, rented equipment, most of which is broken one way or another. And so I always loved horror movies, but well, I did I loved horror movies by the time I got to college and, but it was, it was, as you kind of said, I did the comedy show. I tried to make funny stuff. Um, Comedy is also incredibly difficult. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the nice thing was with that show, we had a weekly built in, um, focus test is that every week you'd find out real quick did you do it? Is it funny? Is it not funny? Um, and I think some of it was by the end, I was a little burned out on having to do that time and time again. The last couple, um, seasons, my videos started getting more, uh, complex not in any philosophical or technical sense but uh yes you're supposed to laugh but there would be almost an intentional uncomfortable um crash at the end
0: yeah
1: uh the the one i remember that i made with jensen strock who's been in some of these movies now is uh papa bellini's the concept being it was an an ad for a chinese restaurant run by an italian family um So there's obviously that gap. And then at the end, we just start and the editing gets more and more hectically painful by the end. (laughs) And at the very end, we just start taking personal pot shots at each other. Um, And finally, she walks in. I think I I think I might punch her and then she smacks me. So it's kind of on the level. But then like the green screen dies. So you just see wall and we drop our Italian accents to reveal we're not even Italian. And it's just this <laughs> horrible concept that we're trying to do as a restaurant. And we just have a real family argument for like the last 30 seconds. And then the uh, the logo slowly oozes down. Uh, and I remember that playing in front of a live audience and they were laughing and laughing and then the hit came and no one said a word. And then <laughs> as as the logo oozed down, everyone slowly started nervously laughing and it worked I remember like I, that that started giving me more uh I guess more validation or at least a better sense of satisfaction where I was like all right we did something weird that you don't quite expect that to me is it got to be more fulfilling than if it's just all right we made him laugh again like if you could make him laugh but make it also uh part of a stranger overall sense that I had more fun with it
0: yeah um yeah so i i guess when i first learned that you were into horror films was basically well i I, we were in college writing class and i knew you as the guy from the agenda the comedy guy and you just i you got called on in class or something and you just casually mentioned like oh yeah i was talking to john carpenter and i was like what
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so around that same time um my brother started uh going to Horror Hound which is a great convention around uh and you I think now it just alternates between Cincinnati and Indianapolis. Um and he started going to those and I was obviously not I was not diving in head first yet but we like we went to one in Indianapolis and had like some people from aliens and some people from the terminator and I just got to see him speak and that was cool um but one thing i learned very quick as i dived into horrors like john carpenter that's that's my guy he's the one i've stolen as so many indie directors stolen the most from um, just the sense of of style and not even cuz i get tired on i don't know about you i sometimes get tired of like the 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 uh reddit um there's a subreddit that's it's not one perfect shot that's the account but it's it's just like pretty shots Mm -hmm. And I I love it because, you know, they're pretty. Um, But sometimes it bothers me. Like that's that's weighted more heavily than stringing it together, than telling a story, um, which is what what I enjoy. Uh, And Carpenter does that well, but he doesn't get as much credit for it. Besides, look at this this wide, pretty picture. Um, And so my brother's like, he's going to be at at Horrorhound in Cincinnati. You want to go? I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, And I think this was just after either just after I graduated or coming up on it. No, it couldn't have been if I was still around. So, and I told him like, so we wait in a line and uh, it's in a convention center. Um, And I get up there and my brother does this every time. He's like, what are you going to (laughs) say? My instinct is like, this man's heard everything. I'm not going to bother him. He's like, no, you got to say something. Um, And so I was thinking, I was thinking, and uh, we get up there. And of course, John Carpenter is, is a, is a very pleasant and nice man. Um, he's like, "Hey, how's it going?" Like, good. I, and he's signing something. Um, I think it was a still from They Live, where he's directing Roddy Piper. And I was like, "I just wanted to say that you know you're the reason I got into movies, that I want to make movies." And I was just wondering if you have any advice on like on how to go about it. And uh, and he said this. Now, in all in all honesty, this is probably something he said to to a great many people. So I'm not saying like, oh, it was just for me, but that doesn't matter. Context matters. And he said, um, he said, go to it. That's it. Just go to it, make movies. And I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty profound. Um, and years later, probably four or five this year. Um, the thing about Beatrice gate got into, uh, horror hound, same horror hound Cincinnati. And so we went and my brother flew up. And um, and so it was a really weird full circle uh, that I met, you know, I was meeting this filmmaker that inspired me there. And then I was a filmmaker there with all of these other people, um, many of whom I, I can, I think, hopefully call friends. Uh, but th- this year, one of the people there was Tom Atkins, uh, who stars in Halloween 3 and The Fog, uh, Night of the Creeps, and he was in a short there. We got an autograph with him as you always do. And then he was in a short there and he hung out with filmmakers later. Um, And so he came up and he had a beer with us and uh, which is strange in and of itself. But I remember I, I kind of asked him as well. I'm like, what, what's your advice? Uh, And his advice was stick to it. And it was, I didn't tell him like the John Carpenter story. And it was such a strange full circle that now i'm on the other side of the fence and then my first my first piece of advice was go to it and then five years later my next piece of advice is stick to it um both by these guys that you know in different ways made me love horror uh and it was it was an absolutely surreal feeling but that's a long way to say uh yeah i, I love john carpenter it's that's a very funny way I'm glad that sticks out in your mind that that's the first time that you noticed I liked horror. Oh yeah. I don't
0: remember. Was it,
1: I don't remember what class it would have been. It was, it it
0: was Tracy's, um, writing, uh, writing, writing for media or something. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So that, that that was like, that was like the first time I sort of got to know, I mean, I always knew who you were, but that was like the first time I kind of got to know who you were. I mean, even though we went to college together like basically the entire time we kind of ran with different circles i mean you were more yeah. you were more on the tv side and i was more on the ksuif side but right but yeah i mean we all i always respected you and your work and stuff and i, I still think you're uh i forget what one of what it was like the the snow day bit on a, the agenda uh that one really wow. sticks out like it's like eric mansfield's a swell guy or something oh wow
1: yeah, the deep, thing that I thought was going to get me fired.
0: A deep cut there.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's um, for everyone watching. In short, there was a a school official um, who, because I believe temperatures were like negative thirty or something, that for that fused for a few days, um, and the snow was piling up, and the school was not going to close, and an official went on record as saying, like, "Be adults." uh, you can't call off work. You're just gonna have to brave it out. Um, and then what we did, and I, 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 said, it has to be me saying this. So that if I get in trouble, it's just me, no one else is going down. Uh, and with a few people we wrote, like we printed out how far that he has to walk to work versus how far a student has to walk to class. Um, we dug through social media to find likes and things. It was, uh, you know it was pretty pretty brazen for a show that otherwise um we'd get pointed but rarely about people like in the same zip code <laughs> uh and I just remember the response afterwards was the newsroom was like clapping when we walked back up, and then the g m pulled me aside and said that was funny, don't ever do that again
0: <laughs> yeah um yeah i think I think in college, um, I don't know if we ever i think the only thing the two of us worked on together. Was your team had recruited me to do a Wayne's World reenactment, but I think besides that, we never oh, really, yeah. we never really did too much together. Surprisingly. Well, well, that
1: I I believe my name is in the credits of a motion picture that you directed.
0: Oh yeah, you were involved yeah. with that for a for a short period of time. That is, yeah. see the re. I think it's you were in the editing class, right? Yeah. yeah. And and I, th- and I, think I was that's... in the pre-production class for a day. You were in the pre-production class for a day, yeah. But yeah, because i in and the I... editing class. You were basically the only person I didn't have to babysit. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, Jeremy knows how to cut a scene like that. That's fine. So yeah. <laughs> um, Wait,
1: well, yeah, because I think I got mine done in like a, a month, and we had like five to yeah. finish them,
0: right? <laughs> um,
1: so I also made the credits, if memory serves. Uh, but. Yeah, I, I, I vividly remember two things was when I dropped out of pre-production, <laughs> um, <laughs> you you, stopped, you ran into me in the halls and you're kind of like, and you kind of looked at me and you're like, why'd you leave? And I don't even know if I answered, but we both kind of knew why I left. Yeah. And that was that.
0: <laughs> I, th- I think it, I, post- I was just like, I understand.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then in post-production, I remember we had the screening of like the three hour rough cut. Yeah. Um, and we had an intermission and a lot of people worked on it had been, you know, laughing and really having a good time. And then at the intermission, you were sitting there and people were saying like, oh, it's so good or whatever. Uh, and you looked clean through the whole class and you're like, I want to know what Jeremy thinks. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't know what I said. I might've said, you know, yes, this, this sure is a rough cut or something like that, but. <laughs>
0: I think I said to uh, I think I said to you with the materials we were given and the resources we had is this the best we could have done and I think you were like <laughs> I think so.
1: Yeah, yeah. All the, the you know that sounds like the beginning of a defense uh for a war like war crimes or something <laughs> given what we had and what we did it's the best we could have done.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was an interesting experience, no doubt. Um so after after college, the the first major thing that you did that I'm aware of was the killer deal. Was there anything in between that uh on the horse side? That was, um,
1: no, cuz that was like a month or two after I graduated. I kind of I realized like, all right, I got to do something. Cuz obviously without the show, you're not cranking things out every week. Um and I just, you know, I got to do something, uh, and it's going to be a test because to me, like writing's great. Writing's free. Um, I can do that anywhere, uh, and, and have fun with it. Directing is expensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's, you don't get to do it that often. And when you do someone's paying for it, more than likely me, um, and so I needed to, to make a test to see, like, all right, if this gets any kind of traction, I'm gonna keep directing. If not, I'm just gonna I'm gonna put that put that in the file cabinet. And should the, the opportunity arise years from now, so we I wrote Killer Deal, in like a couple weeks, and then um, we found uh, Wolf had a cabin on his family like farm, and um, I was like, yep, that'll do it, and we. I didn't really scout it, we just took the props we needed and my brother was was instrumental in seeing that one through and he wanted to do it, he played the guy with the chainsaw uh, and it was just straight up an ode to all of the horror movies that I loved and that got me into it and it's based on one line in the original Evil Dead because they're driving to the cabin and one of them says like, oh yeah, the realtor says it's great and I'm like, <laughs> there's a realtor that lost a whole cabin full of people. And I was like, well, I guess it's time to rent it out again. Uh, <laughs> and to me that's hilarious. I'm like, what's that guy? What's that guy look like? And then thus Killer Deal was born. Um and even that, I mean it wasn't it was not the smoothest sailing because I know like there was a, a last minute um switch that Devin Fenn ended up playing the realtor, Morgan McLeod ended up playing Survivor. Well, it was supposed to be the opposite, and at the last second, I think Morgan got called into work, and so it was like, oh, we'd have him for three hours one day and half the other day, and I was like, oh no, that's not going <laughs> to do it. Yeah. Um. So I talked to both of them; and they swapped, and I ultimately, I think, for that movie, it was for the best. Um. But that was fun, and we shot it. Didn't think much of it. We used, we haven't used it since. Uh, and this is just for nerds out there. We used an anamorphic adapter on a standard lens.
0: I, I was going uh, to ask about that. Because uh, you can tell when you're watching it, but someone who's not into filmmaking might not know what that is. So I guess for the, casu- yeah. the casual listener out there, kind of explain um, what you did to get that sort of effect.
1: So what uh, an anamorphic lens is. And when you're seeing a movie that's in like super duper wide, I think once... I think in the editing class, you described it as Western-wide, uh, anamorphic. <laughs> um, the, what it is, it's the dumbest trick in the book. There's just a piece of carnival glass that you put on the front of the camera that's curved uh, that when you shoot onto film or whatever, whatever you have, it'll look like everyone is real tall and thin and squished because you open up the left and the right of where you can see. Then in post uh well in the in the analog days you would then put a similar lens on the projector and then it would straighten it back out and look wide in this case and i i just in post had to re-stretch it and then it looked fine just super wide now most anamorphic lenses for for real cameras it's one piece there's not a there's not a screw on or anything like that we got um they made it briefly for, like, home DSLRs, vacation cameras. And surprise, surprise, no one liked it because it stretches things. Uh, they made, like, an attachment. You could just screw on with bolts to a normal lens. So that's what we used. And I love the look of it, but it has limitations. <laughs> uh, I wanted to get, like, a close-up on Devin's eyes. And the closest he could get to the lens before just getting lost in in mush was, like, maybe four or three feet. Oh, wow. Um, and the sides of the frame, no matter what you do, are going to be blurry uh, just because you're stretching light all the way in from the side. Um, the other thing was we can only use it on one lens because a uh, uh, too small a lens, and it starts ripping it off because the the attachment is like five pounds almost. Um, it, was not, it was not easy. It, look, it looks cool. I'd like to use it again on what I don't entirely know. But uh, I mean, because that way we shot that in 1080. I'd be interested to see with the control of even the 4k, what, what it could look like. Um, but I think I have been hesitant cause I don't know. I don't know how much of a movie should look like that before people are like, why does this look bad? <laughs> why does this look like a dream sequence?
0: Yeah. Well, the film does sort of have like a dreamlike quality to it. So I guess it kind of fits. Cause I mean, it's it's a horror film, but it's also very heavy on the comedy, and it kind of exists in this yeah. little universe. Um, but
1: yeah. uh, it, I mean, it's a parody; it's straight up a parody. Um, and we tried to get in as many like horror references as possible. Um, it was shot in two days, and uh, I'm glad it looks that way because at least it looks different. If we would have probably shot it with just a standard lens. It might not have even gotten where it did go, the the modest lengths it did go, because it does look different. At least looks that stretch for some reason does give it a weird. I'm not going to say filmic, but it looks a little more analog than just a straight DSLR would.
0: You said that it had some limited success. Did you you submitted it to some film festivals and whatnot? So I
1: made. I mean, that was the first thing I made with that intention. I didn't know what to do with it, uh, frankly, at first. I was like, I made it and I kind of dragged my feet editing as I as I used to do and still enjoy doing, but now I really can't afford to do that. Um just because like I shot it, and obviously you know as well as anybody. There are more parts that aren't as good as you wanted them to be that, than parts that are better than you wanted them to be. So I didn't <laughs> want to look at it. Uh but we got it and Um, I cut it eventually. Sam Ponell made the music for it. Uh, And someone, maybe it was, I forget who, uh, knew someone submitting to a festival in Columbus. And it was the first year they were doing it called Nightmares Film Festival. And they're like, you should send it in. I was like, okay. And I have no idea what a film festival looks like. I don't know the quality of the movies that could be there. I'm like, sure, why not? So I send it in, and I remember... Starting an accidental pattern, we got it in the night before the deadline um, for some reason or another. I forget what. And the guy running it was very nice. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll still take it. Don't worry about it. And we got it. And I got the notice that we got in. I was like, this is insane. Um, so we went. Uh, and again, didn't understand film festival. So we literally went just for awards because we were, no- we were nominated for Best Ohio Film um and then we won and i was absolutely dumbfounded uh because i'm thinking like what am i doing this is a movie this you know this film festival has real movies and then there's ours and we won something um but like a dope i left because i didn't know like went home afterwards then came back the following day just for our block to watch it and of course everybody came out it was good time and um I remember there was there was an opportunity for a post screening Q&A, but I think we were the last block of the festival and the other filmmaker, one, some other filmmaker from the block who, who was more kind of known and comfortable with everybody got to the mic and said, it's late. Let's just not do this and walked away. And I was so disappointed because I'm <laughs> like, someone asked me something, please. I've never gotten to do this. Uh, but that was it. And that was the movie was my test. And. I was like, well, we won something for this. Not that that's everything, but like we got in, which wow, that's huge. We won something, wow, that's huger. Um, I guess I got to keep doing this. And uh, Mm -hmm. now that movie, they, I think it played once. I submitted to, like again, like adult. Here's the thing about they don't tell you, no one tells you what to do for like how to handle festivals. Like adult, I sent it to like the biggest horror festivals possible. Big mistake. Um, I probably could have played it more places if I focused more on Ohio stuff um, and even Ohio non-horror festivals, but uh, it played once more somewhere in Ohio at like a, a contest with three with like three, three movies and then the audience choice won money and we didn't win and I was like, okay, well this is a strange, I, I don't know what to make of this um, but uh, by the end of that like by the end of that process, I'd had an inkling of what I wanted to do next. Cause that movie killer deals. Great. Uh, to this day, there, uh, rumblings amongst us. Like maybe we should make it a feature and there's a plan for it, but the limitation is exactly what it was with the short, which is, it is a parody. It does rely on something else. And it's then hard to overcome that something else to be its own thing. Versus like this is just kind of a chaser to that shot, um, and the next thing I wanted to do, I knew like and I want it to be a parody, I want it to be as scary as I can make it, whatever that means, because I'd not really tried before, um, and I wanted it to be a lot more personal, uh, and that's how the childish thing happened, um, which is its own uh uh misadventure, in yeah. in rudimentary puppet effects,
0: yeah. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, let's talk about the childish thing. I think out of all of your films, I think this is the one that I sort of relate to the most. Because, I mean, everyone in their childhood has some sort of creature that they're afraid of. And Mm. for me, I don't want to say mine looked like this one, but it (laughs) it definitely had some significant similarities. And as an adult, I figured out what I was afraid of. I, in my childhood room, it's, it's still there to this day, but I have like this five and a half foot tall Mickey Mouse uh, stuffed animal sort of thing. It was, a, it, was oh, wow. a, it was a gift on the day I was born from my father. So it, it's still there, but it was sort of positioned in a way that at, through the window at night when cars would drive by, the headlights would kind of make this weird shadow on the wall that would move as the car would move. So this shadow mm. Mm. was what was tormenting me as a child. So the Childish Thing, it sort of brought back some things I haven't thought about yeah. in many years. So thank you for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's funny is, like, it, it's funny to see kind of the, the arc. Because, I mean, not, not that many people saw Ch- uh, Killer Deal, and it's a parody. So most you are kind of like, oh, this is funny. I, I get this. But between Childish Thing and Beecher's Gate, like, Beecher's Gate is the better made movie. It's still about something, but that something is less of a personal thing, and it's more of a comic book. So a lot of people are like, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Childish thing, if people dig it, inevitably it starts a conversation where they're like, oh, the thing I – my monster was this. And then as you just did, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember being terrified of this thing. Um, I think for me, some of it came out of – I love the Muppets, but I was terrified of animals. Um, so like the, the, something about the eyes, but I, this monster, I've, I saw it as a kid. Um, and I realized now it was night terrors and I would see it. Um, there was like a, a door, I think it was the bathroom. And like, so at night, the bathroom door was just open and it was dark inside. And I remember vividly seeing the, that dark move and you know kind of fingers come up on a door frame and this big neck lean down and step under and it was this big muppet thing with this distended neck um the only thing we changed i mean that what you see in the movie is as accurate as i could possibly do it for the money we had um the only thing we changed is the eyes i made the eyes spookier because i think the original one was just st- standard muppet eyes and i'm like that's not good enough um so we just went with the blank and the one, the one hanging. Um, but well, I realized it was night terrors cause it was always the same room. Um, and I never like saw it anywhere else. It was just, there it was, it would always come out and kind of look at me. Um, and I was thinking like, do I do it? Cause I told my brother about it for a long time. He's like, Oh, that's creepy. You should do that. <laughs> like, how do I do it? And so we kind of figured it out. And that childish thing was kind of my big swing that, this is this is straight up me. Um and what I made it about uh to get into the meat and potatoes of the movie about what, what it's about, as boring as that conversation inevitably is. Um in the movie, Morgan's character Jack, uh it's never explained how, because we don't need to know how, but his brother died some time ago, and he still misses him. Uh and there's and the childish thing is what they bonded over fighting this monster. And as an adult, he's still seeing this thing and it's not going away. And even in the end, it doesn't go away. It's still there. Um, but he's kind of put it back where it was for the time being. Um, spoilers. Sorry. (laughs) Um, he puts it back, um, by drawing it because he never wanted to draw it since. And it's only by coping with that art, actually showing the thing that he can, use it and keep a healthy lid on it um, because it will show up again. And what that was is my experience with grief for my dad Uh, is that you never know when it's coming or what's going to trip it. Um, And when it happens, you've got to figure out a way to not just collapse and shut down. And so for me, like this movie is him drawing the thing. And I realized like, okay, because there's a, a thing that we found out, Um, after my dad died, we found an old yearbook, and he had not. He loved movies. I mean, he took us. We were always in front of the VCR. He watched movies with us. He took us to Universal Studios all the time, like me and my he he and my mom did. Um, we found a yearbook of his, and it said like you know aspiration or career, and it said film, TV, and we didn't. None of us knew that. And so, a strange way, I'm like, okay the people that that you lose you're more like than you realize and you do carry them with you and that's why when he goes back to his brother's room by the end he he is the drawing on the door he's the door hanger um even though it was it probably likely his brother that it was supposed to be he's he's been carrying him around the whole time as you always do uh and then the monster is then it can't be beaten um, you can use all the old tricks like the pop guns and stuff, and that might push it off. But you cannot you can't just um, scare it away. You have to figure out a, a, how to cope with it. So that movie's all about coping with art and me coping with art.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everyone ex- deals with their grief and stuff like that in very different ways. And you found a way to bring it into a fantastic film. So thank you. I, I applaud you for that. Um I was very I was actually very very impressed with both of the films. Um I had seen Killer Deal previously, but these two I've mm-hmm. watched in preparation for this. Um one thing that I really liked about the film is you kind of got creative with the editing of it. Um like the cutting to action and stuff like that, like not giving much away, but there's a sequence with a box and kind of the way the kind of the way you cut that I mean, it looks mm. good. I mean, like...
1: Uh, you're talking about uh, how Hal exits the picture?
0: Yes. <laughs> um,
1: that that was... So for each of these movies, um, killer deal less so, there's been, by kind of coincidence, because I, I don't think I'm, I'm a particularly visual director. There's some people that, that that's what they see first. Is It's all images. And To me, I, I, I like the story first. I like telling the story, and then I kind of have to figure it out. But for Beecher's Gate and Childish Thing, in both instances, there was something that like, I saw in my head. And I'm like, well, that's how I got to do it. The box sequence was one of them. Because um, I knew it was kind of inherently absurd. Uh, and if we did it wrong, people would just kind of laugh at it. Um, and the first time we showed it, uh, one of my favorite shots in the movie is when Morgan walks downstairs. Because you just hear something. And you know what Hal has been doing. Or the last thing. He just saw a box open so we to investigate. So as you hear the cardboard rustling. That's one of my favorite effects. Because in a theater. Everyone starts uh, nervously laughing. Because they're like. What's that? What? <laughs> uh. um, and I remember when, when he starts inching over. And you just see the legs in the foreground. Um, everyone stopped laughing. <laughs> and and just, you could hear someone go like. Oh no. And I was like that. Good. That's the proper response. Um, but that was fun. That turned out better than I could have expected, especially given the goofiness of how we had to shoot it. Um, cause that was, we just popped the bottom of a box open and Devin shoved his legs up through them. Um, and then for one or two of the shots, it's actually his arms through his pant legs. Uh, and then it gets sucked back down. But that whole time I'm like, I hope this cuts because to me, and this is, this is what I've learned about special effects. They will always look incredibly obvious to you. Um, And you'll realize that most audiences, even other filmmakers aren't going to try to be outsmarting you. They just want, they just want a surprise. They want to enjoy what's happening. So to me, I'm like, yeah, he's, he's underneath. That's And people are like, how'd you do that? Like what? He's, he's (laughs) there. He's breaking his back right now. Um, but like that scene, especially like the box fall over, so his hands pull down into the box and then it falls over and we see it's a whole box again. Um, I'm glad it worked for you because that was that's probably the single most like unnerving sequence to me in that movie. <laughs> um, yeah. it's just so unnatural.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, it really did for you. It really worked well. Um I wanna t- you you touched about the appearance of the monster a little bit. Um, how was the, I mean, you can see how it was, how it looks, but how exactly did you construct that and how many people did that take to operate at a single time? Do you know?
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So the, the, the first question was the neck, cause that's a tricky thing. So I, I hit up the Halloween stores just after Halloween. So to show you the turnaround nightmares was like the last weekend in October and that's when Killer Deal played. The next week, Halloween stores were on clearance, and I started just getting stuff. I bought a box of caps for a cap gun, and I bought two pairs of uh, furry leg warmers. And that was the first investment. So the neck was a, a stretch of the black corrugated um, like drainage pipe that you can get from Home Depot. That you see on like mini golf courses. So it's, it's <laughs> bendy. It's not floppy, but you kind of have to motivate it. I then put the two leg warmers on that and they had elastic so they could just sit and it looked like one long piece. I made a foam plug at the top of it. Um, stuck one eyeball, one ping pong ball on a pencil and then hung another one through like, uh, I shoved a, I think it was a paper clip through the foam and then dangled a length of yarn with the other ball at the other end. Uh, The body was just a black fur coat that looked similar. Um, The legs were other leg warmers for shots that we needed. Most of the time we didn't need them. Um, And then the hands were black gloves. uh, And actually it was my mom who bought black, like, fur um, fabric. And essentially kind of made long, thin cones and figured out In each of them, there's kind of a knuckle system. It's like a stretch of cardboard um, with straws for joints and then yarn. So each finger was a cone with a piece of yarn sticking out of it. And when you pulled the yarn, um, the finger would curl. Uh, And let me tell you, I have a lot of takes of those fingers (laughs) curling the wrong way or not (laughs) curling or not really curling together. Um, But shots like when it grabs the door, when you kind of first see the full thing hiding behind the door, um, that took a lot just cause you have almost each person. It's, it's tough because then to curl all the fingers, you need someone to have the hand and then someone else, if not them with their other hand to pull all of the yarn and curl it together. Um, and that's the monster. So, uh, in shots where it's walking around, we had one, one guy in the head and then one guy in the suit for the most part. And we shot it in the dark. So you can't see the head of the guy in the suit. Uh, sometimes it was separate people for arms Uh, sometimes it would be two people to an to a hand uh, depending on the shot and it just became a game of how well can we hide this Uh, and certainly the first time I saw it I had two very different reactions first was uh, I, I just built the thing that terrified me as a child and it looked about as I remembered it the other thing was if I don't If I don't shoot this right, um, we're all done for. Uh,
0: Because
1: it does look goofy. And the whole time, I'm like, this is a goofy-looking thing. There's a chance I make this. Everyone's like, he put a Muppet as the monster in this movie. What was he thinking? Um, But it was a challenge. Uh, Special effects are as fun as they are frustrating. And that was kind of our first big one.
0: Yeah. Um, You mentioned some shots are in the darkness, but most of the film kind of takes place in broad daylight. Um, do you find that? Yeah. Do you find that that made it kind of scarier that it could happen when you least expect it or at any time?
1: C- certainly, that was uh, a thematic extension because grief is not going to wait until the point of maximum scariness to strike. It's just going to be there when you least expect it. Um, it was tougher, certainly, to make anything look good. I to me, it's a little bit scarier because at night, you know, we're all afraid of the dark. We all think something's out there. If you establish that this thing can just show up in broad daylight, uh, to me that's that's more frightening because then you then all bets are off. There is no safe place uh, in the movie then, um, especially like that shot of it leaning over the door. That got a lot of people because they kind of assumed, well, you're not going to see it too close to sunlight, uh, and we just
0: and there um, it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, like a bunch of bold morons showed it in broad daylight.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, a very, it was a very good film. I enjoyed it a lot. It also hit the festival circuit for a while. And now Beecher's Gate is making its rounds on the circuit. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about the inspiration for this one?
1: So uh, much like Killer Deal, Childish Thing played it, I believe, two places and then not again. Um, and so I was proud of it. And I knew from like the difference was what I started doing and each movie you learn more, uh, not even just about movie making. I started sending childish thing out for reviews and we started getting really good reviews. Um, and it was just tough because it's like, oh, well we get great reviews. You can't see it anywhere, but the movie's good. Trust me. Um, but it kind of, again, it's not that you need validation, but it helps, you know, there are signposts, uh, if you're making these movies and they're not getting played anywhere. That's a problem, um, but if people are saying they're good movies, all right, so what's the problem? One of the biggest problems, I mean besides the fact that it's a very it's a pretty cheap movie, um, it was a half an hour, and that's, that's poison for film festivals because uh, you're saying you're better than five six minute shorts, essentially. Um, and we were not. but the, we made that, and I, I wanted to make a feature next right away. And originally the thought was killer deal, but some of the crew didn't want to do that because we'd done it recently. Um, And I was kind of, that kind of bummed me out, but there was a short, um, the next short I was planning uh, was something called Save Yourself. And I realized it could be a feature, probably should be. And so me and Wolf, um, who'd been writing features, the first feature we wrote together was, was in 2016 um same year as Killer Deal and we'd just been kind of doing that along the way. So we wrote one together the first with the first we wrote with the intention of me making it. Um and I really liked it, but I was like, ah, we gotta wait till summer to shoot this. Uh, we should make a short in the meantime to get us up to speed. And that that was Beecher's Gate. So my first thought was uh I love horror movie cops with the fur collars and things like that. And I happened to have one of the coats because I bought it at Goodwill uh, a century ago. And I was like, that's it. That's, that's the movie. And I, all I had was a, a new deputy in one of these uh, horror cop towns is sent to the woods to do something that they have to do every year. um, And it, it's a remote shed in the middle of nowhere. And I remember, cause I told Morgan with the intention he'd play the main character. And he's like, that's cool. What happens in the shed? And I'm like, Probably something cool. Uh, And I had no answer. I had no idea. Uh, And we we batted around, I think, because in the movie, he jokes about werewolves. I think at one point that was a question like maybe werewolves. I don't know. Uh, But. He was the one that that then said, well, you're talking about tradition. You know, this is a small town. If I'm playing the cop. uh, We can say something about a certain subject. Uh, And I was like, huh, that's real interesting. And that's how, uh, spoilers for anyone watching, cause I, am not a, I'm not a fan of spelling anything out. Uh, and we made Beecher's Gate with the intention. You can watch it and not know what's, what it's about and have a good time, or you can watch it and know, and you'll notice a lot of things. Um, but that's how Beecher's Gate became a kind of allegory for race, uh, by way of what I would call the Thanksgiving excuse, um. Because Morgan's character is kind of static. He's the one that just has to deal with this shit. Um, Alex Bryan, who plays Clancy, his is the dynamic character. He's the one that actually changes his mind. Uh, and what he falls into is the uh, the Thanksgiving excuse when, you know, Grandpa is saying things he shouldn't. That, well, it's a different generation. You know what? That's, that's not us. You know, that's what... And how in, insidiously destructive that is. Regardless if you're trying to just keep the peace over Turkey-like... That's dangerous. That you, can't, you can only write that off so far. Um, and so he goes into town. And from there, we started spitballing. He and I came up with a story. I wrote it. Uh, and we reverse engineered the monsters in that movie according to the allegory that we figured out. Um, and from there, it just became kind of a bigger thing. We shot that, and the feature ended up not working because the people I wanted in it and wrote it for moved. And so Beecher's Gate just became... The only thing I made last year, um, which in a way is kind of lucky considering uh, how strangely well it's done uh, for us and and on the festival circuit.
0: Yeah, Um, I really enjoyed the film as well. Did you have to cut that one down at all for it? Because I know for a childish thing, you had to cut it down to get into some of the festivals. Did that one have any cuts or is that?
1: Yeah. Not really. So Childish Thing was like a 52-page script that was became a 45-minute rough cut that became a 29-30 festival cut. And then once it was clear that's not going to play anymore, I added back in like a minute, uh, which is essentially more hanging out between the characters and a little more breathing room on some of the emotional stuff. Um, Beecher's Gate was a shorter script off the bat. It was maybe 30-39 pages, I'll say. And first cut was like 28 minutes um, and we just started hacking the fat and it ended up being 25-30 and we haven't had to really touch it since it's it's done very well and at the last at genre blast another filmmaker came up to me who runs her own festival and she's like I want you guys to know that it is uh, a complete pain and nightmare to, uh, to schedule a 30 minute or 25 minute short the fact that you guys are getting it scheduled just like take that to heart cuz <laughs> yeah. you're a pain. I'm like, "Okay, I'll take that."
0: <laughs> cool. So, um, I guess how long did that how long cuz I you said in a, a recent interview from fright fat uh, horror hotel, you said that you saw the 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 barn and you kind of based the story yeah. around that. How long did it take for you to from seeing the barn coming up with what you had to do and then how long did it take to actually get in there and shoot it?
1: Um, I mean, I knew, so our, the producer on that movie who's worked on all these, uh, Sam Scorefield, he, um, that was on his property, that shed. And I, and I kind of asked him as we're figuring out, okay, what are we going to shoot this? How are we going to shoot this? He's like, yeah, you can use it. So immediately I started aiming everything in that direction. Now, uh, a smart filmmaker would have gone to the shed and seen what's inside it. I mean, Sam told us, like, this is what's in it, give or take. And I was like, cool, that's good enough for me. So we went out, we shot a weekend, and I was hoping to finish it in a weekend. Um, and as literally as soon as we got there, the Friday night of that weekend, it was just us walking around and figuring out, oh, this is in the shed, and this is in the shed. And we kind of had to move move a few things, but we didn't know what was in it until we got there. So like the paintings were just there, and we realized we can make good use of these, these kind of play into the theme uh, and they're unsettling in their own way. Um, I think we knew the tractor was there, so we could safely have Morgan do the tractor joke. We I think we wrote that, um, but we shot the two days that weekend, and I started I started losing my mind because for some reason I was dead set that I'm going to make this in this weekend, and if it takes a day longer, I've blown it. Like we can do this, and it got to be four a.m. There's one scene in that movie where it was just me and Morgan. Everyone else had gone to bed. So I have, uh, a fun game is figuring out which sequence that is. Um, but I realized like this isn't going to get done. And so we scheduled another day, like one more night, two weeks later. Uh, so it was like two days, three nights or three days. Um, and we went back and we shot. And this is the miracle to me is that a lot of what we didn't get were just like con- connective tissue shots. Like, oh, Morgan looks this way. And we didn't have it. And the fact that it works, I don't quite know how we pulled it off. But we shot the rest of it. And so about we shot it about three days. And I kind of dragged my feet to cut it again. Although I always get a rough cut to Sam. Sam Pownell, who does the music. Um, but other than that, that was, it was only about three days.
0: Yeah. I was actually going to ask about um, Sam because he did the music for all of these shorts. What is sort of mm-hmm. your relationship with him when it because music is a big part in them so what mm-hmm. how does how do you guys approach scoring these Do you just kind of tell them here it is have at it or is it more like like what's your process with him
1: uh there i mean there's a the key is tone um so in each movie that and in each movie actually the the we've gotten a, to kind of trust each other more and figure out more of what what I'm looking for and what he's trying to push himself to do in killer deal. It was very, very easy in the sense that like, I just kind of need tones and sounds. Um, the big, the big song in killer deal was the end credit song. And I sent him the Friday, the 13th three disco theme as sort of a touchstone for that. Um, and that kind of started the, the, that pattern like on childish thing, which was then obviously more complicated. I gave him um at a thrift store I found like an a portable electronic organ that was horribly broken. Uh and the second you plugged it in, it would just start making sound. Like the the keys were were kaput, but it made interesting sound. And so I was like, see if you can use this, because I like the sound. And he did. So the toward the end of Childish Thing when the monster is, you know, fighting, and you hear that almost like distant. Uh, it's just a repeated note, like the dun dun, dun but it sounds a mile away and like a cathedral. That's what that is. Um, but I told him I wanted a theme for Childish Thing, a recognizable theme, and that's how you get the dun dun dun, dun dun dun. Um, and so he kind of expanded on that. I sent him some scores that lightly inspired it. That one, I think, there was the least suggestion, just because it was—it's a, a strange kind of tone for a horror movie. Uh, and then Beecher's Gate, he wanted to do more. Um, so he enlisted a couple friends of his, Zach Thomas and Jacob Wilcom, um, and got them to kind of riff with some guitars and some instruments. And then he took those and started uh uh manipulating them and using them um digitally. And that's how we got that kind of times a little western theme. Um there's there's a sound I really like. Used kind of in the middle of Beecher's Gate that almost sounds like a train, like barreling down the tracks. Um, and so in this, but I did still send him things, sort of a, for this one, I think it was more of, there were a couple Western themes and there were more um, driving synths, uh, more like Carpenter Brute and that kind of thing. Um, and then obviously, yeah, he got me that score and I was like, this is crazy. This is, it's so much yeah. different than anything else we've done. Uh, and I, I loved it.
0: Yeah. Um, you've also worked with Morgan on all of these. What does he, cause he's obviously a, a tremendous actor. Just talk about kind of working with him.
1: Um, absolute nightmare. No, uh, <laughs> he, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a reason he's in these movies beyond just being, you know, a friend. Uh, and we, um, we met on the agenda kind of, he was, he was a, a mutual friend of someone else and so he was around the agenda and i I used him in a couple of video sketches and then the following season, he joined as a co-host with me uh and Then I started a couple of movies I started making in college that didn't work i I put him in the lead for uh and they ended up being kind of proof of concept trailers and he was great he, and I was like this is you know this guy's got it and we just kept going because I know he's very serious about acting and my thing is like, because I've used, I've used some actors that, to me, it's more about, all right, can you do, can you do what I what I need you to do versus, um, looking up the SAG directory and finding someone who kind of looks the part. Because there are great, there are great many short films you'll watch that are that have the SAG logo at the end of credits. And you're like, some of these were not good actors. Um, <laughs> it's you know, it's it's not it's not exact science. Like Beechers Gate. Obviously, Morgan, I've worked with forever. Chris, the guy who plays the mayor, mayor. Uh, that's the next movie. Chris, the guy who plays the sheriff. Um, he he'd only done stage stuff, so that was his first movie. And then Alex Bryan plays Clancy. had had only acted in a few sketches and was not like really looking to act, but he was. I liked his v- real authenticity, um, and that's the game. Morgan though i respected the hell out of because he was at serious about acting um and still is only more so now uh and so we started doing stuff i wanted him for the lead and killer deal obviously that didn't work out but it, it did work out and that Devin did a, a, a wonderful job next movie obviously morgan and Devin are both in it um but i kind of told morgan i'm like i want you to shoulder this and that was uh maybe even more than um Beecher's Gate. That was a very emo- emotional kind of performance that he had to give. Um and it's it's tougher because it's like to a point it's my emotions. Um it's what I had to deal with. Uh and I never once was was disappointed or like, ah, he doesn't get it. Um the especially the scene where he shakes the gun, not realizing that it's it's out of bullets and is yelling yeah. at the monster to bring bring them back. Um and so he's great in that. And I that didn't get As much play, obviously, as we wanted to, but I'm like, you know, people got to see this guy. I I want, I want everyone involved with my movies to get seen because they, their names deserve to be up there. Um, And I'm very glad Beatrice Gate is getting the attention it is, and especially Morgan because he just walked away with uh, a nice little nuke shaped trophy for his for his work. And next weekend he's up for another acting Um, in Austin, Austin Revolution against Vincent D'Onofrio, of all people. Oh my. Um,
0: yeah yeah, that's that's and, interesting
1: uh, <laughs> yeah that's I told him that and he was like you're full of shit and I'm like no look uh, but uh, he um, you know the man's gold I've never been able to throw anything at him that he can't he can't land uh, and the hardest like the hardest thing in the world is to be able to kind of be a leading man and but be able to not be forgettable because it's tough like that's why even at film festivals, even on whatever indie scale you're looking at, inevitably, actors are more interested in playing bad guys, because their bad yeah. guys are more interested. Um, but the fact that he's played these heroes, and he's done them all idiosyncratically, like, they're not the same guy, um, and he seems very different. Someone we met at the last festival thought Morgan was 40, like <laughs> or at least pushing 40 because of Beecher's Gate, and I was like, dang. Um, and that's as much the mustache as it is his performance. Uh, and he, um, he just knows exactly, and you, probably, you, you can tell the difference too, uh, when you're working with an actor who's not used to the camera, and you kind of have to coax the performance out to match what you're shooting, versus an actor who immediately knows the camera, the lens, what you're seeing and what you need to see. Uh, And so the only direction you really need to do, if any, is to say, this is where we are in the story. Um, And he immediately figures, all right, this is this is the level I have to be at. This is the tone I have to hit.
0: Yeah. So um, as you said, it is playing all over the place, lots of different festivals. What is the most fun place that you've played? Ooh, Um,
1: as in like most fun uh, as an event, as a venue, as a screening?
0: Uh, any, uh, probably, was well, well, have you played any drive-ins? Would you like to play a drive-in? Ooh, that's, yeah, I would love to play a drive-in.
1: Um, uh, I talked, to- I talked to, uh, Mike Went, who I don't know if you know Mike. Oh, I'm, but,
0: I'm very familiar with Magic Mike. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, he, um, it, it,
1: coincidentally, we played at two fest two film festivals on, like, consecutive weekends, and he, I didn't know this, he judged them both, and I'm like, you had to watch this twice and you gave me an award twice. I'm like what you masochist. Uh, but I finally got to talked to him after the one and I kind of mentioned to him, like I live, you know, I live by the, the Autorama twin. It's my favorite place in the world. And I'm like, I would love to do, a, I would love to screen at a drive-in or like have a film festival. To, and I remember he was like, huh, I might have to look into that. I don't know if he does or not, but I was like, please, please. I, I would love to screen at a drive-in. Um, there are a couple in the Midwest that do festivals or something like them, but it's features. Right. Um,
0: sell but. sell me on the drive because I've heard from Bobby Makar and a few others that drive-ins suck, and I've never been for, <laughs> I, I, I've I've never been fortunate enough to go to one, but I've mm. always wanted to. So so sell me on the drive-in. Give me the pitch. What's the appeal? So okay, here here's here's the
1: difference now. I will say you kind of have to, you have to decide what your motivation is. If you're going to a drive-in to like review a movie, probably not a good move. If you're going to a drive-in to kind of dissect the movie, probably not a good move. Um, but you know, drive-ins were made to show uh, schlock. Let's, let's be honest here. If you're, you're not going to watch, uh, uh, you know, uh, Wuthering Heights at a drive-in that would be miserable. <laughs> uh, because the difference is in the theater theaters thrive on an absence of distractions. That's why you sit in the dark and you watch a movie drive-ins. The charm is in the distractions. So, you know, I go, I, I pop out my lawn chair. I sit next to my car. You can hear some cicadas, you know, there's the, the autoramas. It's literally framed by train tracks and then the turnpike. Um, you can you you've got the smell of the night air you've got a breeze um you can talk to somebody as opposed to like if you want to talk over a movie you can in its entirety if you just want to talk about the movie as it's happening you can you know the entire time and you're not disrupting anybody else um you've got the snack bar with cheaper food than movie theaters uh autorama has unlimited coffee once you once you pay for it um and like, even just cause I, one of my favorite memories that I'll, I'll tell you two stories and these are some of the, the best stories I could probably give you, um, couple summers ago in the summer, well, they do uh Tuesday nights or back to back retro features. And one night was, uh, escape from New York and Mad Max and the, uh, Escape from New York ends and it ends uh, with Snake Plissken tearing the tape apart and just walking away mm-hmm. to the to the rising uh you know beat of Carpenter's score. And that's one of his one of my favorite themes of his. Uh, and the credits start rolling. And it's okay, it's time to get out, go to the go to the bathroom, whatever. I get out of the car and I start walking, and like the the drive in, it's like the surface of the moon. <laughs> it's just the biggest rocks in the world. Um, so I always tell people like wear good shoes, but you know, I start walking back, you see a couple headlights come on as people fix their car, but mostly you just see the projector light gleaming off the hoods of cars. You, they have a couple floods that come on at intermission. Um, and you see people kind of moving in the dark and out of a, out of a hundred cars, you hear the John Carpenter music just thumping like in the background. Um, as you walk as, as snake does kind of just resolutely. <laughs> now he's not going to the snack bar. You are, but I was like, damn, this is a feeling that I could not get anywhere else. and I certainly couldn't get movie theater. The other story, every October, they do a four movie marathon of horror movies. Uh, it's an endurance test because I think they start at seven. They don't end to like three or four in the morning. Um, last couple of years, I've caught a few like last year. Uh, they usually play Halloween, which I'll watch it as many times as I have to. But they played the thing, which was a great movie to see at the drive. And especially as it's getting cold, um, one year, my brother and I stuck out the whole thing. And the last movie was the shining. And by the end of any given marathon, there are like three cars left. Cause no one's, <laughs> no one's staying out that long. Uh, and it's, it's a complete crap shoot because it is Cleveland after all, as to what the weather's going to be. Um, some years it's still like 60, uh, this particular year, it was about 20 degrees by the end. Um, we were one of the last cars. I is getting to the end of the movie, so I run to the concession stand of the bathroom. Concession stand is closed. The other screen, which shows kid-friendly movies, is uh, done for the night. Back half the drive, and it's dark. Only light is the men's over the concession shack bathroom. Um, so I go in there. You know, I I I wash up and I step out. I'm like, gosh, it's cold. So I start shivering and I kind of cross my arms and it starts to snow, um, very lightly. Uh, and I'm walking back across the drive-in and it's just silent, just the crunch of rocks. And then I start hearing from the few cars left, um, you know, the score. And I start hearing, you know, Danny boy. And I look up and as I'm shivering, going back to my car, Jack Nicholson is is shivering through the the (laughs) hedge maze. And I've never felt, uh, closer to any movie in my entire life. (laughs) And I was like, "This is it. This is this is as good as watching the movie in the Overlook Hotel." Um, yeah, and I'm like, "That's that's what you don't get. There's more. If you want to see a movie, go to the movie theater. If you want to have an experience, go to the drive-in. That's the best way I could think to sell it."
0: Well, that's that's amazing. It really so you, sort of puts you into the the movie. The only thing that would have been better is if it started. In an actual snowstorm, and you look up, and it's him in the in the snow.
1: <laughs> There's just—I always wonder if if there would ever be like a movie where they send some guy out in a Michael Myers mask, just knocking on windows. I feel like it's a security hazard, but it, it, you know, it would be fun nonetheless.
0: Well, you could probably get away with that in the the '50s, doing the the midnight spook shows and stuff, doing things of that nature. But certainly not today. You couldn't do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Cool. So I guess I guess sort of as we wind down here, I want to talk a little bit about um the new project you're working on. Um, I've seen yeah. seen some screenshots on Twitter. You posting like little updates, like day seven, little little sneak peeks here and there. So what can you tell me about the latest project?
1: Uh, Morgan's in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it okay. So it. It started out as a different project, um, that I kind of, it, I, I worked out with someone and then wrote it and it took a while before we could shoot. And then it immediately became apparent after one day, we weren't going to get to shoot again for a while. And the schedules probably weren't going to work out ever. I mean like for the foreseeable future, just because of schedules. Um, and so I kind of to make the make the hard call because I'm trying to, I'm looking to move south, um, soon, uh, to Orlando actually, and I I wanted to make something and get it done, hopefully for nightmares, which the deadline is next a week from this weekend, um, and I wanted to make one last thing while I'm up here, uh, and so me and Wolf sat down and I liked some of the stuff we shot on that one day. And I wanted to keep as much of the cast because I liked them and I wanted to work with them and they already were into the movie. So I'm like, I want to give them another opportunity. And we wrote something that used as much of what we had as possible, but is something else entirely. Uh, And so then we went off and shot that. And now that movie's ended up being, you know, uh, I'll say mildly cursed just because, (laughs) uh, and every filmmaker gets one missing footage locations that kind of drop out. Uh, um, uh, Two different special effects Neither of which work consistently um, And we're almost done we, uh, We're uh, I mean we're done shooting just about We just have to get some last minute Pickups of the, the footage that we lost Because one actor is in Columbus But what it ended up being is kind of a celebration Of like the people I love working with up here Jensen's in this one um, And some of the people that um, That we've worked with That I we've met on the festival circuit. Uh, One of a guy named Daniel Allen Keeley, who I don't know if you've seen or heard uh, about Bong of the Living Dead, but he was the star in that movie. That's a great movie. Um, But it's it's more of a comedy. The way I looked at it is it's one last thing movie. Uh, I'll 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 tell you the title if you promise not to tell nobody else Uh, (laughs) on a podcast. (laughs) Uh, it's called the things with the glowing green eyes. And it's more of an open, it's some partially making fun of ourselves Cause obviously it's a very obvious title about what the monsters are. Um, but it is through and through one last thing movie in which it's about something. If you don't notice what that thing is, you should still have a good time, but it is also us and, uh, and me dealing with something. Um, a little personal uh and hopefully it works it's a very it's a very strange movie it's not it's not like the other ones but it does have elements of the other ones much in the same way childish thing kind of evolves into Beecher's gate
0: any any chance that when it's done all three of them will be released as an anthology the thing trilogy (laughs) um
1: i that i mean i'll admit that is a soft strategy um I just kind of like threes uh, in part because I'm like, all right, this is a nice conclusion. Uh, I, that would all depend on if I can find a, a a distributor willing to go for that. And some of that also has to do with like we have to raise our stock a little bit more so that people don't see the DVD and go like, what What the hell is this? Why would I buy this? Um, but no, that's, that's entirely an idea. That's part of the reason I, I went back and restored Childish Thing because I knew it wasn't as good as it could look or
0: sound. Um but we'll see. I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed. So um so Killer Deal is on YouTube. Um is there anything on the yep. horizon where people can see um the Childish Thing or Beecher's Gate besides the festival? Is there anything?
1: Um Childish Thing is available to stream on trueindie.tv. That's T R U I N D I itv T V. Um it's a great streaming service, it's all indie movies, um shorts and I believe features. Uh, you can do a free trial if you want to watch it, and then keep it if you'd like to keep watching. Um, there was a an issue with our first upload on there though, so they might they were supposed to have fixed it. They might have fixed it already. Uh, and it was the same problem actually you found, which was the oh. last it didn't exist.
0: The last ten uh, minutes just gone because I was like, "There's no way this ends with just him running to the garage." I was like, "What?"
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, "No credits at all." It's no bold. nothing. Um, but. Thank you for catching that, otherwise, I don't know if anyone's ever even watched it on True Indie. I hope not, and I hope they don't think like, man, this movie has no ending <laughs> um, but it should be fine now uh uh yeah, that's going on true indie uh, I might look at putting it on prime, but Amazon has changed their contracts, and there there's been a nasty streak of them wiping out uh indie horror things that don't have like decent IMDB scores, or even if they just feel like this shouldn't be on our service. Uh, so I don't know, but I'm always on the lookout for a different platform. Um, I just don't know where else to put it right now.
0: Cool. Um, so where can people find you on social media? I I saw that you have t-shirts out now. Where can people (laughs) check out your stuff? Um,
1: okay. Uh, on just about every piece of social media you can find, that's Facebook, that's Twitter, that's Instagram, and now Threadless uh, for our, our merchandise, uh, it's at D-Day Films.
0: Um, yeah, well, I guess that is about all that I have, unless there's anything. Hey, what are some words of wisdom that you can share with the audience out there? John Carpenter had given you some words of wisdom. What w- What words of wisdom would you give to anyone out there that's looking to pursue sort of the run-and-gun filmmaking style that we do.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull anything profound out of my hat here. <laughs> uh, always bring more canned fog than you need. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, I'll let people decide if that's profound or not, but <laughs> there's one thing I've learned. It's always bring more canned fog
0: than you need. There you go. Well, I want to thank you for having this discussion with me today. Uh, <laughs> so, someday we're going to have to work together on something maybe hit up the uh maybe we'll hit up the drive-in after a romantic evening at panera bread um, <laughs> man you're speaking my language yeah <laughs> well cool well thanks thanks for doing this yeah thanks for inviting me on man this is fun that is about it for this time guys I hope you enjoyed the season two premiere of the house of horror podcast again if you're in the Ohio area please make sure you go check out the premiere of the things with the glowing green eyes it's on Sunday October 27th at nightmares film festival and make sure you check out dangerous days films on all social media and go buy a t-shirt that is about it for this time guys I will see you back here next week with another episode of the house of horror podcast and I will see you back here on YouTube tomorrow for another spooky video as always take care and stay spooky